Well, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. Uh, so it's, like I said, it's weird to step back into this. It's probably going to take me a week or two to to regain my footing. I, I will say, I, I posted yesterday or on, on our Facebook page that uh, we the, just the the January preaching schedule, and I'm I'm doing four of the five sermons for January, and the one sermon I'm not doing, Danielle Schroyer is going to be with us, and I'm so so excited about that. If you're not familiar with Danielle, she wrote a book several years ago called Original Blessing, which is just one of the one of, one of my favorite books to to have come out of this this whole era of what what it, uh, wrestling questioning that, that a lot of people have been doing and so if, if you're if you're looking for a good book to read if you if you set a reading goal for 2007 what year 2017 <laughs> where did i come up with 2017 i don't know what year it is this is this is how things are right now i don't i i I'm, I, I didn't just say 2020 i said 2017 anyway if you set a reading goal for 2021, uh, Original Blessing is is a great place to start, and I, I highly recommend it. Also, uh, Danielle has preached for us a couple of times. You can find that back in our podcast archives. Um, but I'm, again, super excited that, that she's going to be with us in January. And then uh, I, I believe Christina Gibson will probably be w- back with us uh, at some point in February. So that's the hope. That's kind of a loose plan of, of where we're going with it. Uh, all that to say, I'm, I'm still sort of getting my footing and, and still trying to figure out exactly what it is I'm doing and, and how to do it and why my microphone line keeps turning red. So I'm just pushing this back a little bit. Anyway, um, okay, so here's, let me just sort of catch you up on on where I've been, how things have been going just with me, just because I, I kind of disappeared for a little while and I realized I sent out an email and kind of kept everybody as, as best I could updated. Um, but just in, in case, in, in case you're not on our email list, or in case you're just wondering, like, hey, how come all of a sudden Rob just stopped preaching for a couple of months there? Um, I learned back in the summertime that I suffer from major depression. This is that's, and I, when I say major depression, that's my therapist term. I'm not like trying to brag. I'm not trying to like one up anybody who suffers from moderate depression. This is a this is a term that my my therapist used. It's not a thing I even realized. That I had, so I, it, and so when you're told that about yourself, then there's all sorts of. First of all, there's a certain sense of like, oh, that explains some things, and second of all, there's this sort of like, oh no, what does this mean? Like, what are the implications to this? How like how how does now that I know this, wh- how do I how do I function? How do I how do I proceed? How do I how do I stop having uh, severe depression, major depression, whatever the term was that she used. Um, and so I spent, I spent several prior to that, I spent several months not realizing that I suffer from this particular illness and that's what it is. It's an illness. And, um, and, and so I, 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 I was suffering from it, struggling with it, not necessarily realizing the severity of it or even really what it was until it was like a, a label was placed on it. And then, um, and I continued to sort of sink deeper and deeper into a pretty, I mean, quite frankly, a pretty terrible place, uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, just all of it, just the whole, just everything was sort of, um, I don't even really know exactly how to describe it. I just finished reading a book actually called The Noonday Demon, and it's all about uh, the the struggle with mental illness and depression. And it was really helpful, but it, it, like as I was reading, I kept thinking like, this guy is so much better at putting words to the thing that I've been trying to figure out for, I mean, quite frankly, half a year now. 
And um, and so anyway, it it kind of sent me to this pretty low kind of place. And and so I, I received my diagnosis, and then soon after that, I, I started taking medication and you know kind of off and on trying different things that worked and really did not work to, to certain degrees. Um, spent a couple of weeks in a psychiatric hospital, which was an interesting experience for me, and um, which sounds a lot more severe than it turned out to be. Um, or a lot more intense than it than it turned out to be. It was it actually ended up being really useful and um, really beneficial to me. Anyway, um, and you may be thinking like, "Wow, this is a lot of information." And how are you? Um, anyway, it, it, it's all, all this to say. Here's here's what I'm telling you. I'm not I'm not just telling you like it's not like show and tell. I'm not just like giving you this information for no reason at all. It's it, here's the thing. It, it's easy to feel hopeless and it's easy to feel isolated even even when there are people in your life even even when you feel like there is a support structure even when there are people who are checking in on you it's easy to feel like that that very dark sort of nihilistic sort of pressing down um even even when you know from a from a 10,000 foot perspective everything should seem fine and when it came time for me to begin preparing to step back into my role here after my time out, um, what I decided was I, I decided to use a, the lectionary um, while I sort of regained my footing. I, I didn't I didn't feel like it it was I I I don't, I don't know exactly how to describe it. I, I didn't really have kind of the mental I didn't have the creative energy to sort of come up with a series. And so what I decided to do was begin here at least by using the lectionary. And what the lectionary is, if if you're unaware. Uh, the lectionary is this document. It's almost it's it's kind of a guide for people who do any kind of preaching, teaching, um, leading kinds of things on a weekly basis in churches. And what it does is it basically gives you four choices of different passages to use every single week, depending on what type of passage you're interested in using. And um, and so lots and lots of churches that are what are known as uh, more liturgical churches than than us tend to use the lectionary every single week. And it's just, it, it's a way of kind of grounding you in, in saying like, okay, tens of thousands of churches, hundreds of thousands of churches, maybe all over the world are using one of these four passages this like every single week. And so what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of step into that tradition and we're going to use that. And so what I decided, at least for the month of January, and I, I, I don't have any plans content wise beyond January. I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort of pace myself. So what I decided to do for the month of January was just to sort of let the lectionary kind of guide us and kind of step into that tradition a little bit. And I've done that before. Um, you know, the, this isn't the first time we've used the lectionary, um, but it, it felt like the right thing to do. Just again, just sort of stepping into, especially now, like considering like how long everybody, like not, not just us in our like one single local church, but people all over the world right now are feeling kind of in a in a sense of we're feeling a sense of diaspora we're feeling a sense of disconnection from one another and so one of the things that the lectionary does is it kind of pulls everybody together on a mental kind of kind of puts everybody on the same mental wave as a way of saying like yeah there are churches all over the country or all over the world that are looking at this this one particular passage so why not just join in why not why not be a part of that larger conversation so it, that, that felt like the right thing to do, at least at least for now. So that's that's kind of where we're at with it. And, and I, I have some series ideas that I'm, I'm kind of trying to decide whether or not to save those for when we go back to the building or whether or not to just go ahead and use them here. So I'm, I'm still sort of working through all that. Anyway, it's probably way more than you wanted to know. Um, so I turned 
to the first passage in, in the lectionary, thinking like, okay, I'm just going to talk about whatever the lectionary wants us to talk about. And it was from the book of Jeremiah. And the book of Jeremiah is all about exile, which is kind of perfect. So as I was preparing, I was thinking like, wow, I could not have selected a better passage for today if I had tried. If, if I had decided like, well, we'll just do a series. I couldn't have done better than the lectionary did. The lectionary gave us something that I never would have come to on my own, but it actually ended up being kind of perfect. So in a minute, we're going to look at Jeremiah 31. So here's the context of the book of Jeremiah, um, <laughs> which is a sentence I don't get to say often enough. Here's the context of the book of Jeremiah. Um, so this guy, Jeremiah, is a prophet, and he has spent the first several chapters of his book the better part of the first 30 chapters of the book, talking about this coming destruction of the city of Jerusalem and more specifically the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah, by the way, Jeremiah is a bad news prophet. Jeremiah is not here to tell you that things are going to be better. Jeremiah is not here to tell you that things are going great. Jeremiah is here to tell you things are bad, things are going to get worse, and you should sort of buckle up for like that particular type of journey. So, and, and so Jeremiah has spent a lot of time in the first few chapters talking, or really like almost the first half of the book, talking about like things are about to get bad. Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem is kind of the central location of the identity of this people that he's writing to. He's, so he's not just saying that these buildings that you care about are about to be destroyed. He's saying how you see yourself in the world is about to be demolished. Like, you, like your sense of self and place and identity are about to all just spin right off the planet. Like you have no idea how disoriented you are about to feel because things are about to, you, like all the things that you cling to, that you think, well, this, at the very least, this will always be there. Jeremiah is saying like, no, no, that's about to go. We're, we're about to lose all of those things. And so this destruction it, and, and what comes after this destruction, so the destruction of, of Jerusalem and the temple and all the things that come after for the next 70-ish years are what are known as are the years of the Babylonian exile. And we've talked about the Babylonian exile before. This is, not, this is not new for those of you who have been around for a while. So the Babylonian exile begins with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And what happens in the Babylonian exile is that some of the people, well, listen, it's a military invasion. Lots and lots of people die. Lots of people die. But a lot of the people who don't die are taken hostage and carried off into Babylon, which is in the north. So there, and that'll be important later as you're reading the passage. But so, so Babylon is in the north, and a lot of people from Jerusalem and from the, the the neighboring territories of Jerusalem, a lot of the Jewish citizens of this of this place are taken out of their home after after their home city and their temple is destroyed. They're taken out of Jerusalem and they're taken up to Babylon in the north. And they're basically told like, you don't have an identity anymore. There is no Jerusalem. There is no temple. You, you're, you, you are either part of us or you are about your people go are going to go extinct. And that's just how it's going to be. So lots of people are taken to Babylon. Lots of people, like I said, died. Uh, some people ended up scattered because not everybody was taken. And so um, so some people end up scattered around the known world in various territories and countries. And some people are just left to sort of fend for themselves and eat scraps, whatever's left in Jerusalem after the whole thing burns. So 
what you, where once you had this like central location where everybody was and there was an identity and there was a place, now everything is scattered. Some people are dead. Some people are in Babylon. Some people are in lots of different territories. This is what's known as the Jewish diaspora, the people who are in lots of other territories. Lots of people are, are sort of left scrounging for scraps in what was once known as Jerusalem. So this is what this is the Babylonian exile, and this is what Jeremiah is saying. It's gonna get it's gonna get dark. It's gonna get bad. They used to have a central location and a central identity, but now everybody has been decentralized. Everyone has been displaced. This is exile. So let's talk about exile. Exile is the place where nothing feels right. Exile is where you lose your sense of self. And your connection with everything that you once assumed would, would just always be there. Like, well, it's, it's always just been this way. Why wouldn't it be this way anymore? Exile is where the ground beneath your feet stops feeling quite so solid. It's, um, exile is the place where you put away your musical instruments because you have nothing left to sing about. There's a passage in the book of Psalms where you have these poets and they're writing from Babylon. And what they say is, we were sitting by the river of Babylon and we were weeping and we hung our harps in, on the tree branches. And which is a way of saying all the, all the songs that we used to sing, all the, all the things that used to bring joy to our hearts, those things died. And so we, we had no use for our musical instruments. And so we hung them in the tree branches. We had nothing left to sing about. This is exile. Exile is when all the things that once felt right and normal and like, well, this will always be there. Exile is when those things go away. Um, exile is when you live 39 years believing something about yourself. And then all of a sudden you learn that you suffer from a specific kind of mental illness that disorients you and pulls you out of what you once thought was normal. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see everyone around you. It changes the way you orient yourself towards the world. Exile is that moment you're sitting in a doctor's office and the doctor says, I've got some bad news. Exile is, is when you go into work one day and you thought, this is a place, I'll, I'll retire from this job. I'll have this job for 30 or 40 years. And then one day they'll throw me a retirement party and they'll, um, they'll talk about how great it was to work with me and then they'll send me on my way. And then you walk in one day and they tell you, your services are no longer required. Exile is the feeling of picking up your stuff and putting all your things in a box and going home to tell your family that you don't have a job. Exile is, is the feeling of, well, at the very least, we'll always be able to gather in person, right? Because no matter what, we'll, there, there won't be anything that could make it difficult or dangerous for us to gather as a people. At the very least, we'll always have that. You know what I mean? So exile is, is the moment after the thing that you thought would never happen, happens. And so this is what Jeremiah is writing about. Jeremiah has been writing about exile. And he's saying, listen, I know you, real, I, I know you feel like the temple will always be there. I know you feel like the city of Jerusalem will always be there. But here's the thing. It won't be. And there will come a day where you are so disoriented and everything is so broken. And like all, all the things that you were like white knuckle gripping like slip right through your fingers. Like there, there will come a day when nothing feels normal. That's exile. So let's be honest. Let's, let's really take a look at where we are. And I, I realize these are not difficult dots to connect. Since March, 
we have been in so many ways, in an emotional, in some ways a very real physical way, a state of exile. And, and I'm not saying that this is divine judgment. I'm, I, would never, I would never go so far as to say that. I, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that that's how these kinds of things work. Um, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say that we deserve this. I don't think anybody deserves what we've been through for the past year. Um, so I'm not saying that this is, and I realize like a lot of times the prophets are like, you know, shame on you, or it feels like they're saying like, shame on you, change your ways or you're going to get what you deserve. That's not, I don't, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I, th I think what we're talking about here is like, look, we are, we are, we are in a state where we believe things are a certain kind of way. And what, what we're about to learn in a very harsh, real way is that they're not. And um, and so what I'm saying is when I talk about us currently for the last year or so, or, you know, 10, 11 months or whatever, when I, when I talk about us being in exile, what I'm saying is we have become intimately familiar with feelings of displacement and disorientation. This is the thing. You remember, you remember back in March when they said, you know, you, you settle in because this is going to take like six or seven weeks. You know what I mean? Like, Wow, how quaint that we thought that this whole thing was going to be over in six or seven weeks. So exile is when you realize like, oh, things are, things are so much more broken than we thought that they were. Things are so much more fragile than, than we thought that they were. And what, what we've learned, again, for the past 10, 11 months is the emotional state. We, we've learned in a very real way what it feels like to be in exile. And... I mean, I mean, if, if we just like look at the landscape as, as things are right now, people are dying. People are losing their jobs. People are missing major life events. And the one thing we are supposed to be able to do in order to feel connected to something normal and life-giving, i.e. meeting together as a community, is the one thing that's super dangerous for us to do. It's, it's a certain kind of torment. It's a certain sort of like, how do you even, how do you even reckon with, with all of this? This is what exile is. That's, and that is where we have been living. That's, and that's what Jeremiah is telling the people, this is coming and it's going to be bad. And he spends a lot of time talking about this. By the way, it's just sort of an aside. We could do a whole other sermon just on this. Nobody likes the prophets. <laughs> These are not popular individuals. Nobody likes it when you deliver bad news. People, people wanted to kill Jeremiah. People hated Jeremiah for all the thing, for, for him saying like, look, the temple is not as, as permanent as you think it is. Jerusalem is a lot more fragile and vulnerable than you think it is. People hated Jeremiah for pointing these things out. They, again, they wanted to kill him. And, and anytime he would speak out against any amount of corruption or injustice, like there was one time they tried to throw him off a cliff. Like there is, there is no end in like the amount of like denial and defensiveness that people will exhibit when they feel like their 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 sense of normalcy and reality is being thrown into question. Um, I mean, and I mean again, these are not difficult dots to to connect. Think about the attitudes over the past few months. Think about the attitudes of, of lots of people towards doctors and scientists over the past year. Virologists and health experts have been getting death threats. Why? because people have never enjoyed being given bad news. People have never enjoyed being told things that they didn't already wanna hear. So I, that, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. So Jeremiah spends a lot of time 
kind of getting into this this notion of like, yeah, things are going to get bad. And there's injustice, there's corruption, and it's going to cost us. And again, not only were people not receptive to this, they like really wanted to kill Jeremiah. Anyway, he kind of turns it a little bit in chap- beginning in chapter 30. And beginning in chapter 30, Jeremiah goes on to say, like, look, the whole thing isn't, like, lost. All hope is not lost. It won't always be bad. No matter how bad it gets, and it will get bad, because, again, he's just spent the past, like, 29 chapters telling you it's going to get very bad. There will always be reason to hold on to hope. He, and he continues to sort of kind of live in, inside the tension between it's going to get very bad, but also don't, don't give up on the possibility that it won't always be bad. Or that it won't always be that bad. So Jeremiah 31, which is the passage that we're about to get to finally, is all about how one day there will be some amount of restoration. So if you have a Bible or an app that will lead you to a Bible, or if you're on our homepage at collectedchurch.net, you can scroll down and this is there where you can see it. Um, We're going to look at Jeremiah 31 because this is what he's been. So again, he's been saying like it's going to get bad. And then in chapter 30, he turns it. And now he begins to sort of paint a picture of like, well, what about is there any sort of reason for some sort of hope? And so in in verse seven, he writes this. He says, this is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Which by the way, after all the things that Jeremiah has said, sing with joy. Like maybe, if I'm reading this, I'm thinking like, excuse me, sing with joy. We hung up our harps like two chapters ago. Like we have nothing to sing about. So he says, sing with joy for Jacob, shout for the foremost of the nations, make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. And again, the remnant of Israel is like everybody who's not been killed or displaced, like whoever's left, please save us. So, and and so he starts off in verse seven, at least he starts off with sing with joy. I feel like it has to be said here. This is not a call to deny suffering. I feel like a lot of times people will read the Bible and they'll find like these little tiny like nuggets, like these, these like single sentence verses and they'll pluck them out and they'll say like, see, rejoice in the Lord always or sing with joy, oh people. And, which, and they take that to mean like deny your suffering. Don't acknowledge the struggle and the pain. Obviously, that is not what Jeremiah is doing. Jeremiah is in no way interested in glossing over the pain. If you've been reading up till this point, you realize like the last thing Jeremiah wants to do is fast forward through the pain. So we're dropping in on the 31st chapter of a prophetic book that has spent the better part of the past 30 chapters saying things are going to be bad. We are going to spend lots of time grieving and struggling to understand our own suffering. So don't let anyone tell you that it's wrong to express grief or sorrow, because if they tell you that, they've got major issues with Jeremiah, with other books like Lamentations, the Psalms, um, some of Jesus's prayers for crying out loud. Like there's all sorts of places where you can find like, yeah, there's like real acknowledgement of suffering here. And Jeremiah is not trying to tell you to pretend that that's not real. So um, anyway, so he goes on to say, Let's see, in verse eight, he says, see, I will bring them from the land of the north. And the land of the north, like I said before, is Babylon. So um, so he says, see, I'll bring them from the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. So he talks about gathering. He talks about returning. So this word gather is actually, it's an important word. Anytime you're talking about um the notion of exile. And 
if you've been reading about exile and all of a sudden you start seeing words like gather and return, those are really important words. So gather is an important word um, when we've been talking about exile because in exile, people are scattered. Everybody's like some people are still in Jerusalem. Some people are in Babylon. Some people are um, sort of just dispersed to wherever they could make it safely. And so what you have is you have this group of people who were gathered and now they're not anymore. And so when here, when the prophet says, my people will be gathered, this is a, a way of saying that exile has an end. There, the, It won't always be this way. In exile, people are scattered. These are refugees. These are homeless foreigners in all sorts of strange lands. And Jeremiah is saying the community will be restored. How many of us need exactly this word right now? How many of us feel scattered? How many of us feel displaced? How many of us feel isolated? And so what Jeremiah is saying is it won't always be this way. There, there will come a point where the people, the, the, those who are scattered will be regathered. Those, those who have left will return. This is, this is meant to be a word of hope. This is meant to be a word of good news to this group of people who at this point are probably really reaching for some good news. So then in verse 9, it says, they will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back, which of course they will. I mean, think about, I, I think about this a lot. How, what will it be like the first time we walk into the building together and there's fresh donuts on the table and there's coffee in the pots? Well, I don't know about you. I would imagine there might be some weeping. I would imagine, I, I, I would imagine there might be some, some emotion connected to that. Wouldn't you? I mean, I thought that, I thought that back in May. And so here we are in January and I'm thinking like, I mean, we, we just had a business meeting and like, you know, there were five of us and it was great. And, um, but just being in the building masked was, it, it was, it, it felt just a tiny bit restorative, you know? And so just imagine being able to do that in full, you know? And so when, when it says there will be weeping, it's not like sorrow weeping. It's like, I can't believe we made it through this. I can't, I can't believe we're, I can't believe we're, we've been able to return. There is weeping when you experience that much. Like, I didn't think we'd make it, and we did. And so it says, they will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. Because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Ephraim is, another, is one of the tribes in Israel. Uh, it says, hear the words of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in, the, in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and, and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob. Jacob is just another way of ta talking about Israel. The Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those, strong, of those stronger than they. So this section here is about people who are watching. So it's it's more words of hope, but it's also sort of like a there are other people who are who are sort of observing all of this, and kind of the the general consensus among other nations is Israel is done. Like the the temple's been destroyed, Jerusalem is gone. Like there's no good reason to think that Israel has any life left in it. And it's it's almost like this this writer here um, when he says. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. What he's saying is, don't believe the hype. He's saying, like, you, you, you got to understand, there is still life left in this community. Whether I realize it doesn't look like it, I realize it looks like this is over, but it's not. It's it's a way of saying, like, there there is a narrative out there that says the story is over, and there there is no there is no word of hope to be spoken left about this group of people. And so, what this part of the passage here is doing, verses ten and eleven, 
It's about reframing the narrative. It's about saying there is still life left in this little group of people. Just watch. So then in verse 12, it says, They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine and olive oil. Anytime you see new wine, that's a good sign. Anytime like the, the poets or the prophets start talking about new wine, that means somebody got a chance to plant new vineyards. There is, there is new wine being poured at the table. Like this is, this is a big, big statement that's being made here. So it says, um, I lost my place. Uh, it says, they will be like well-watered gardens and, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance and my people will be filled with my, with my bounty, declares the Lord. So there is this resounding insistence that there will be newness and joy. This is a word that insists your best days are not behind you. Believe it or not, the, the lectionary didn't choose this because, well, it's a pandemic. We should probably put something in here about this. No, th- these, these things are written like years and years, in, or the, the guide, the lectionary guide is written years and years in advance. If you want to know what somebody's going to be preaching about three years from today, you can go and find out. It's, it, this is not something that people are just like figuring out week to week. So it's kind of amazing that right now, at this moment, this is the passage that we landed on, right? Like, I didn't choose this. This, was, this. this came from the lectionary. And I find this so tremendously useful um, because we are entering 2021 with a lot of pain, but we're also entering it with some glimmers of hope, right? Um, people are being vaccinated. There's, there's, there are people in our church who, who are on track to get vaccinated. Um, Maybe there, there's a possibility that some jobs are going to come back. There's, um, we're, 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 looking into, we're looking into the possibility of, of things, at, at least at some level, progressively starting to get a little bit better. Um, but then I would imagine there's some of us who are like, yeah, but, you know, let, let's wait and see. Like, maybe, maybe it's a little too early to feel some sort of hope. And I totally get that. I read somewhere that the feeling of being afraid to feel hope is a trauma-based response. Like if you've experienced trauma and someone gives you some sort of hopeful news that there is some sort of like mental block to receiving that hopeful news with, with any sort of like joy or anticipation because, because what the trauma taught you is like maybe you can't trust a word of hope. So I would imagine that the original hearers of Jeremiah 31, I would imagine a lot of them probably wept at the possibility of going home, but I would imagine a lot of them said, I'll believe it when I see it. You know what I mean? So if you have felt this pandemic is just never going to end, or even if it does, the systems of power are still going to find ways to harm people and to grind people down, or I don't care what anybody says, we won't ever get back to a place of of joy. I get it. I, I have, I've been living in that place for the past year, for most of the past year. Lots of days I still am. We've all been traumatized in one way or another. This can be, and when, when you have been traumatized, when you've gone through something that has disrupted your equilibrium, when you've gone through something that is this disorienting and this destructive and this long lasting, I mean, for crying out loud, how long, right? 
So when you've gone through something that fits all of these descriptions, this can be a hard word to hear. There will be gathering again. There will be singing. There will be, we'll have new songs to sing. Like, yeah, that can be, that can be a difficult word to hear. That can be a difficult word to believe. Um, Which is why it's probably such a critical word to receive in the midst of exile. We need these little rays of hope. We need these moments in which we are reminded that the whole thing isn't over, that the whole thing, that, that life as, that life and joy and goodness and grace and peace, like these things aren't things that we'll just talk about as remnants of a, of a bygone time. These are things that are for us somewhere in the future. That, that there, there is a narrative that says, there is no more joy left to be had. And this passage is a way of saying maybe there's a counter narrative. Maybe there's another kind of story we could be telling. And again, this is a hard word for me to say. It's a hard word for me to hear. But when, when presented with it, we're, we're invited to internalize it. And maybe the best we can hope for is for today, maybe, maybe something we can give ourselves, maybe a gift we can give ourselves is to choose to, to look at this passage and think like, maybe this passage is still for us now. Maybe this passage is for anybody who's ever felt like they're in exile. So there are a couple of different dimensions to this. There's an individual dimension and there's also a communal dimension. So the individual dimension here is just you personally, you. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're beat down. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you, you just feel like you're at the end of the, your rope and you just can't you just can't keep going. I get it. I am I am too. I'm exhausted from this. Um, I've, I've been, I've been lower than I ever thought I could get in the past few months. And I completely understand the feeling of, I just don't know if we can do this. I I, I just don't know if we can keep on. I, I, I don't know if I can believe in any sort of word of hope when it's been like this for so long. So I, I, I mean, I have fine days and I have bad days. And this isn't a light switch. You can't just flick this on and decide like, okay, everything, I guess I'll just believe that everything will be okay. And I'll just like hang tight. No, it's, this, is, this is something we have to, to reach for. And sometimes we'll, sometimes we'll be able to reach for it and sometimes we won't. Um, but my prayer for you is that you will find some way to experience joy and hope even on your darkest days. If, if you need professional hope, help, I'm sorry, if you need professional help, I hope you seek it out. If you need, um, if, if there is some form of self-care that you can engage in, in these moments, I hope you'll do it um, while still remaining safe and healthy. Um, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that this can be a hard word to hear when it feels like it's been a while since we had any good news. So... Um, so that's my, my hope and my prayer for you is, is that even, even on the days where this is the hardest to internalize, that you'll find some, like maybe, maybe just some small window of like, oh, okay, okay, there's, there's still some life here. There's still, there's still maybe one song left to sing. So that's on the individual dimension of it. But there's also a communal dimension. We, collective church, we will gather again. Our best days, I believe, our best days are not behind us. There will be meals shared. There will be trivia games played. There will be kids' crafts that ruin your kids' shirts again. Um, 
we will there there will be a return but in the meantime we will continue to have online services and once new case rates and hospitalizations are down to some sort of reasonable and consistent level and once enough people have been vaccinated we will return to in-person gatherings i hope that's sooner rather than later we're closer to it today than we've ever been before so let's let's hope that um we continue to sort of see progress in that regard um and there are a lot of things that we don't know yet we we, we don't again we don't know when um i i could i could make a guess but i mean if 2020 taught me anything it's that me guessing is pretty much useless um so i could make a guess but i don't know that it would it would help us at all so um so we don't like i said there's lots of things we don't know we don't know when a return will be. We don't know what a full, quote, full return will even look like. We don't know if we'll have to do partial return, then a full return. We don't know what our kids' ministry is going to have to look like in the aftermath of this. We don't know, we don't know who our music pastor is going to be. Um, but we do, so there's so much we don't know right now. But we do know that in spite of everything, we're still here. Like right now, you're watching this, and that means something. That's got to matter a little bit. And so we, we know that today we're still here. We know that somehow through all of this, we continue to dial back in. And that even, even when I was unable to do this, there were people who were willing and eager to step into the void. That my wife Caroline carried a tremendous amount of weight for this church in, in that amount of time. And so did everybody on the leadership team and everybody on the board and Chris Gibson and um the staff and so just like the the ability to for this group of people to say like yeah even even when rob can't show up even even when rob is unable um to be fully present this church will continue this church will still be here and um that that was that that's an incredibly humbling thing. It's 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 an incredibly powerful thing. And so I thank you for that. For for those of you who poured yourselves into this church and who continue to pour yourselves into this church. Um so in spite of everything, we're still here. You're still here. And that has to mean something. So the word that Jeremiah 31 reminds us of is exile doesn't mean you're done. Exile doesn't mean there's no hope left. Yeah, exile is difficult. Exile is awful. Exile is a living, breathing nightmare. But there are still songs that you will sing. There are still moments you will be gathered again. So may we internalize that. For those of you who are struggling, for those of you who feel isolated and broken and defeated, may you find some, at least for today, may you find some sense of grace and peace. For those of you who just want things to go back to normal and are eager for some sort of communal experience again, me too. And b between now and then, we'll continue to do this. We'll continue to show up as best we can. So may you find life, may you find hope in the midst of exile. May we name the exile, but may we also acknowledge that the exile is not the final word of this particular story. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these defiant counter-narrative words of hope. For those of us who are just not feeling it today. For those of us who read these words and we think like, yeah, that sounds nice. May we just at some level, somewhere deep in our bones, may we embrace these words, if only for a little bit, if only for an hour or so a day. 
if, if five minutes a day can be filled with hope, may we see that as progress. May we, as individuals, remind ourselves that exile is not the final word of the story. For those of us who are struggling, for those of us who have lost someone, for those of us who are sick, for those of us who have lost jobs, for those of us who spend every single day afraid, may we feel comforted, may we feel hopeful, may we find pockets of joy in the midst of the despair, and may we one day hopefully one day soon, may we return to gathering in person. May we find that we are so overwhelmed that we are weeping with joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray.